Whether it's the controversial cultural issues of our day or the basic truths about sin, salvation, and eternity, each of us has a choice to make. Will we trust the wisdom of man or will we trust the wisdom of God? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, missions-minded resources over at our website, Radical.net. In this message from David Platt on 1 Corinthians 2, the wisdom of men is contrasted with the wisdom that can only be imparted by the Spirit of God. Regardless of how things may appear, it is those who rely on Christ crucified who are truly wise. Here's David with the second message in a series through the book of 1 Corinthians titled Church and Culture. If you have a Bible or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and let me just say, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. So just ask pastor, leader at your campus. You're like, I don't know who's a pastor or leader. Just ask somebody around you who has a Bible. And if they won't help you, report that to a pastor or a leader. So anyway, also let me, let me encourage you. Uh, so if you weren't here last week, uh, we started a, a we started a journey where we're reading through the book of 1 Corinthians together. So this is week two. Let me encourage you to... Uh, Pick up at your campus uh, a Bible reading plan. So we have hard copies of these. You can download these from mclanebible.org. So what we're doing is we're reading through a chapter like today, and then all this week we're soaking that chapter in in like smaller chunks. And if you want to keep reading the Psalms, you can do that. There's a guide for doing that uh, along here as well. And so between now and the end of May, our goal is to just kind of soak in these 16 chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. We also have these uh, scripture journals available if you want one of these that uh, just uh, has, uh, has like the scripture on one side and then just notes for you to write down things, whether Sundays when we're together or during your time alone with the Lord. And so this can just be a way for you to, to meditate, reflect on 1 Corinthians. So let me encourage you to, to take advantage of that. The chapter we're looking at today is so appropriate because it gives a crystal clear picture of two ways we can all live. It's two ways to live, and every single one of us in this gathering has to make a choice between these two ways. Every one of us, men, women, singles, husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, you have a choice to make between two ways to live. And the choice you make will not only affect your life, it will affect the lives of those closest to you. I would argue it will affect people far from you And the choice you make will not just affect your life on earth. The choice you make will affect your life in eternity. So students around this room, you have the same choice. And this is not a choice your parents can make for you. So whether you're in first grade or you're about to graduate high school or anywhere in between, you have a choice to make between two ways to live. And God is about to make those options crystal clear in his word in a way that's going to lead you today to a decision. So let's do this. We're going to do this a little different today. I have the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 2 there in your notes. And what I want to do is I want to give you a few minutes to read it on your own and as you read it to do one thing. So you'll need a pen or something to write with for this one. Hopefully you have one or you can share one with somebody around you. Let me encourage you to bring something to write with, with you to worship. Anyone can do this. Uh, so young, old, whether this is your first time to ever read the Bible or you read the Bible every day. Anybody can do this. As you read, in the next couple minutes, I want to give you just a couple minutes 
to read and look for words that repeat. So what words do you see over and over and over again? And just circle them. You might circle one every time you see it or maybe put a square around another one every time you see it. However you do it, just look for, note, words that repeat. And I'm thinking bigger words here. So not pronouns or one, two, three letter words. So don't be like, oh, the, over and over and over again. Like, maybe so, but not the point. So think over three letters. Look for words that are over three letters and just make notes every time you see them. So I'm gonna give you just about three minutes just to read through the passage and look for words that repeat. Right, let, me, let me pray for us. God, we, as we read your word right now, we pray that your spirit, just like we're about to read in your word, your spirit would help us understand and God, I pray, I pray that things would click today in minds and hearts all across this, this gathering in new ways, in fresh ways, that your spirit would move supernaturally during this time through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a few minutes, read through, and just make notes when you see words that repeat over and over again. Go for it. All right, I know that's not a ton of time, but let's start to bring it together. It's so great. Like, I see different people uh, in here, like, talking to each other, looking at each other. Like, just so you know, it's totally legit to look on somebody else's paper in this exercise. So there is, like, no, no cheating here. Like, we're, we're studying the Word of God together. So if you see somebody looking over, you don't have to, like, turn your shoulder. And so it's, it's, it's good. So, all right, let's see what you found. Did you note a word that repeats multiple times, particularly in the first half of this passage, like the first seven verses? Wisdom, right? So how many times did you see it? Let's circle them. When I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So there's one. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, fear, much friendly. My speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom. So there's two. But in demonstration of the spirit and power so your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. There's number three. But in the power of God. Keep going. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's number four. Although it's not a wisdom, number five of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So there's six. Then you jump ahead to verse 13. And Paul writes, we impart this, word, this in words, not taught by human wisdom, taught by the Spirit. So that's seven times we see the word wisdom. In this letter from Paul, which, just a reminder, Paul's the one who started the church at Corinth. Now he's not there anymore. He's writing a letter back to that church. And he's saying, when I came to you, I didn't come in these ways, but in this way. And he talks a lot about wisdom. Then, in the second half of the chapter, what word do we see over and over and over again? Spirit, right? So let's count, mark those. We'll start back in verse four. So early on in the chapter, Paul says, I came to you, my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit. So I'm gonna put a box around that. That's the first time we see spirit. And then we get to the, down to verse 10, we start to get in the last half of the chapter. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the spirits. There's two, for the spirit 
There's third time, searches everything, even the depths of God. Keep going. For who knows? Person's thought except the spirit of that person, for which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Fifth time, now we have received not the spirit of the world, number six, but the spirit who is from God, number seven, that we might freely understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. What number is that? Number eight. Eighth time we've seen it, interpreting, we're going to count this one, spiritual truths So those who are spiritual. Ten times so far. Keep going. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Eleven. For they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Twelve. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. That's thirteen times that this chapter talks about the Spirit. Either the Spirit of God, the Spirit of uh, a person, or the spiritual things. So it's pretty clear, just noticing this, the theme of this chapter revolves around spiritual wisdom, or wisdom from God's Spirit. And there's a clear contrast between the wisdom that comes from God's Spirit, spiritual wisdom, and wisdom that comes from man, woman, natural wisdom which is no surprise to us in light of what we read in chapter one. So we need to remember these chapter breaks in the Bible and verses for that matter were not originally in what Paul was writing. So when he was writing this letter, he wasn't like, all right, little number two here. Like these are things that have been added to help us reference different parts. So when we get to chapter two, we see like a new heading. Paul didn't write big two heading. Like he's continuing what we read and hopefully you had an opportunity to meditate on this last week. So let's jump back for a minute all the way to chapter one, verse 17. So this is not in your notes. Obviously it is in your Bible or if you have one of these journals, Um, but I'll put it up here on the screen just in case you don't have a Bible. Chapter one, verse 17, and let's look for references to wisdom here. So remember, there were seven times in chapter two. Let's keep that count going, going back to chapter one. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent, all right, wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of cross, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. So we're up to nine now. Where is the one who is wise? Ten. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? There's 11. For since in the wisdom of God. 12. The world did not know God through wisdom. 13. It pleased God to defy what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, 17, according to worldly standards, not many powerful or noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Oh no, I think I counted wrong. So it's supposed to be 20 total. I may have missed one, but trust me. Uh, 20 total times Paul talks about wisdom. So 
We've got to get the point here. The Bible, God in his word is teaching us about wisdom. And in chapter one, and focusing today specifically on chapter two, there's a clear contrast between foolishness, folly, and wisdom. Between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. You combine this with the emphasis on the spirit in the last half of chapter two, you say the contrast is between that which is natural from men and women like us and that which is spiritual from God. So let's draw it out this way. If you have some room in your notes there, maybe let's make two columns and on one side, let's write the foolish life that's marked by what we'll call natural wisdom. And I apologize for my penmanship. It just is what it is. I'm doing the best I can. So hopefully it makes sense. So the foolish life, natural wisdom. Then on the other side, let's call this the wise life. Let's call this spiritual wisdom. And here we have the contrast, the choice that every one of us must make from students to adults, right where you're sitting right now, which way are you going to live? Now let's think about your options. So first, there's the foolish life that's marked by natural wisdom or the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men and women in this world. Let's hear what God is saying to us in his word, starting with what we've already read in chapter one, but then continuing into chapter two. What does the foolish life look like? Well, let's think about it. The foolish life on one hand feeds pride. Feeds pride. Remember how Paul ended chapter one, verse 29? So that no human being might what? Boast in the presence of God. Let, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So there's clearly a, a right boasting and a wrong boasting. And in your Bible, you might have a little letter or number around verse 31 where it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Those little letters and numbers that many Bibles have, they'll point you to different places in the Bible. They're called cross-references that'll help point you to other places in the Bible that talk about the same things. Well, right here, this is specifically uh, a quotation that Paul is referring to back in Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 and 24. I'll put it up here on the screen. This is actually a memory verse from last year. Thus says the Lord. So this is God speaking, saying, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, God says, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So you see this boasting here all throughout this passage. Boast, boast, boast. But don't do it in your wisdom, in your might, in your riches. The foolish life says, look at my wisdom. Foolish life says, look how strong and powerful I am in this world. The foolish life says, look at my money. The foolish life actually, foolish life actually lives for these things, boasts in these things, takes pride in these things. Natural wisdom, 
The wisdom of this world loves to think about what we have. And we are all prone to focus there. From the junior or senior high student who is consumed with what others think about him or her. To the man or woman who is consumed with how they compare with others at work, on Facebook, to what you have or how you look, how you dress, what status you attain. This is the curse of the foolish life, the constant focus on ourselves and what we have instead of on God and who he is. That's why Paul says back here in chapter 2, verse 1, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, like I was trying to impress you. That's the opposite of what I was trying to do or could do. Because I came in weakness and fear and trembling. So come back to our columns here. The foolish life not only feeds pride, but the foolish life depends on human power. The foolish life, natural wisdom, depends on human power. And what Paul is saying in this chapter is, I'm not good enough to impress you. When I came to you, I was weakness, fear, trembling. We talked about this last week. Paul was afraid when he was in Corinth. He was ready to leave until Jesus said, don't be afraid, stay there. Paul's saying, I don't want to preach in a way that you depend on my wisdom or my power. That would be utter foolishness, Paul says, to bank your life on the wisdom or power of people, including yourself. Because in the process, you will reject wisdom from God. That's the third characteristic of the foolish life here. It rejects truth from God. Natural wisdom rejects God's truth. Which is exactly what Paul says after he starts talking about how the Spirit of God reveals the wisdom of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Exact words. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. Rejects them. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What this means is that the foolish person is so focused on the wisdom of this world, their pride, their own supposed power, that they have no room to receive truth from God. You say, well, I would never say that. But if you go day by day without opening up this word and soaking it in, isn't that what you're saying? It's the foolish life to suppose that you have it all figured out without God. I see this tendency in every one of our lives. Students, the tendency in you to think that as a teenager, you have it all figured out. And you don't need God to tell you what to do. And that tendency does not go away. It's in every single one of us. As we grow older, we actually convince ourselves that we know better than God what is best for our lives. And we reject his truth 
or maybe just ignore it and it's foolishness. It's foolishness. And you see this word, it's interesting. The word back here in uh, verse 14, it talks about their folly to him. That's not the first time we see folly. That was also used back in chapter one. Look with me back at chapter one, verse 18, where Paul wrote, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly, it's foolishness. It keeps going on. Uh, Let's see. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what he preached to save those who believe. The cross message of Christ crucified is folly to Gentiles. So we actually turn this whole thing on its head. The wisdom of the world says, God's wisdom, that's foolish. The cross of Christ, foolishness, which leads to the next thing here. So the foolish life sees the cross as folly. The foolish life sees Jesus on the cross as foolishness. Which makes sense, right, when you think about it, because the cross represents truth from God that is a shot to human pride and human power. So you put yourselves in the shoes of these people in the first century who are reading this letter. Like, we wear crosses around our necks. We hang crosses in our homes. You did not do that in the first century. It'd be like wearing an electric chair around your neck. It's really weird. Or putting up, putting up a a picture of a lethal injection table over your dining room. Uh, uh, yeah, over your dining room table. Uh, people aren't coming over for dinner again after that one. <laughs> the cross was the most gruesome, torturous, sh- shameful way to kill someone reserved for barbarians and slaves, which is why Paul says when you get to chapter 1, verse 23, he says, the cross, cr- the idea of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews So to a Jewish person, anyone who hung on a tree was cursed of God. The idea of Christ crucified, the Messiah crucified, was shocking, blasphemous. That would never happen in Jewish thought. And it was folly to Gentiles. This word literally means madness. Gentiles hear that a Jewish man died on a piece of wood on a nondescript hill in a nondescript part of the world, and his death determines the eternal fate of everyone else in the world. That's ridiculous. And ladies and gentlemen, if Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, it is absurd to Americans in our pride and our power. You take the nice, successful, well-dressed American man with a nice job and the big house and the nice car, take the free-thinking American woman who thrives on her independence from everything, including God, take them both outside the city to a garbage dump where a naked man is hanging by nails on a tree covered in blood, and you tell them your only hope in life is believing that this man is God, and you are entirely dependent upon him as your judge, your master, your Lord, and your king. That man and that woman will roll their eyes At most, they will feel sorry for this man in his deranged condition, and they will move on with their lives. Or maybe, maybe like many professing Christians in America, they will give lip service to that man because it's the culturally acceptable thing to do while they continue on with a life that's focused on themselves. The natural wisdom of this world sees the cross as folly. 
And ultimately, this natural wisdom and the foolish life is doomed to pass away. The foolish life is doomed to pass away. And that is the exact language that God uses in his word. Chapter 2, verse 6. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. Don't miss the point here. This age, the rulers of this church, like you can have it all. All the riches. All the power. All the wealth. All the natural wisdom in this world to the point where you're a ruler in this world. You're a ruler over a company. You're a ruler over a country for that matter. Have it all. In the end, it is doomed to pass away. Please hear this sobering reality. You are going to die. It could be today for any one of us, including myself. And it will not matter in that moment how big your house was, how comfortable your life was, what positions you had attained, what people had thought of you, because all of those things combined will leave you empty in that moment. Remember the old saying, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. It's the foolish life. And yet it looks so wise according to this world. Like we live in a world, let's just put it out there, see it, open your eyes. We live in a world that encourages and exalts pride. Self-esteem is the mantra. Self-worth is the mantra. We have like a thousand words that start with self. That's what we're all about and about what we can do. Pull up your bootstraps. What can you do? Dig deep within yourself. We exalt human power and we reject truth from God. This is antiquated, offensive. Like you don't really believe that, do you? We reject it. Or at best, we give lip service to it while practically we ignore it. There's nothing in this world that is encouraging you to be in this word and receive this truth. This world sees the cross as folly, as foolishness. And I just want you to Open your eyes and see the world is encouraging all these things. And God is saying to us right now, he's saying to you right now, it's all doomed to pass away. See the end of the foolish life. And open your eyes and see there's another way. There's another way to live that's characterized by spiritual, supernatural otherworldly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God himself. And this life is available to you. First Corinthians 2 says it's freely given to all who want it. So what does it look like? Instead of feeding pride, spiritual wisdom crucifies pride. 
And crucified is definitely the right word. Think about it. As he's making this contrast in 1 Corinthians, why does Paul open up chapter 2 by saying, I decided to know nothing, nothing among you except one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like nothing? Really? Nothing? Is the one thing Paul talked about? And the answer is yes, because this summarizes the wise life. The wise life dies to self and to position and status and stuff in this world. It's not what we live for. We've died to these things. This is the same Paul who said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, not just Christ has been crucified, I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. The wise life is an entirely new life in Christ. The wise life boasts in one thing, Christ. Oh, for students and adults all across this church to not boast in nice houses, nice jobs, nice status, nice success in this world. Like rubbish. We boast in Jesus. He's our life. Everything revolves around him. For students, adults who say, Christ is my life. That's wise life. Crucifies pride. And instead of depending on human power, The wise life trusts in spiritual power. Supernatural power. I love the way Paul talks about, like his preaching. Back here in verse three, we've talked about it. Like when I came to you, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. we, We might... Read the New Testament in the Bible and have a picture, a picture of Paul. It's like this amazing preacher. But listen to the way, uh, let me give you this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 talks about Paul. His bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So we may have a picture in our minds that Paul was some stout dude, but that's not what people who saw him thought. They thought dude is weak and dude can't preach. I mean, just ask Eutychus. Poor guy was so bored in one of Paul's sermons that he fell asleep to his death. (laughs) Remember that story? Acts 20, verse 9, the language, it's so humorous. Like, the language is like, the word literally is like him being lulled to sleep. And you've been there, haven't you? Like, don't don't say that. Don't don't answer that question right now. But, I mean, when others are preaching, like, you've been there. Like, Like, you're fighting it, you're fighting it, and you just... Finally, you just give in. That's the whole picture of language there. And uh, like, first man to ever fall asleep in church. Many successors since then, but he was the first. Like when we meet him in heaven, like we're gonna go up, introduce ourselves, and be like, yeah, I'm Eutychus. We're gonna be like, you. He's like, yep, that's me. Like for all of eternity, he's gonna be known as the first guy who ever fell asleep in church. So, and you remember what happened? He falls out of this window. He falls asleep out of a window to his death. Paul goes down. Brings it back to life. And then my favorite part of the story, what does Paul do after that? He keeps preaching. <laughs> you'd think you'd call it a night when people are dying in your sermon, but not Paul. So anyway, all that to say, 
Like Paul, he wasn't the best preacher. Like that's the whole point. That's the whole point. He said, I don't want to preach in a way that you trust in me. What? Preach in a way that you trust in God's power. I want your faith not to rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And this right here is a really good word for us. It's good news for all of us to know that when we are weak, God is strong. I don't know who here today feels weak, but if you do, I'm with you. If you have struggles, I'm with you. If you have hurts, I'm with you. If you need help, I'm with you. Heather and I were talking about a parenting issue the other night, and we said, we should not be in charge of these humans. <laughs> like, do, you ever, do you ever feel weak as a parent? As a spouse? As a single? As a student in this situation, that circumstance? If you, if you don't feel weak, then I would submit you have a pride problem. If you do feel weak, then I have great news for you. To all who are weak and look to God, He, God, is your strength. Amen. And there is spiritual power available for you to lean on and live in. That's a wise way to live. It's a wise way to live, experiencing the power and strength and wisdom and help of God Himself. And not just trust in spiritual power, but instead of rejecting, truth receives truth from God. This is the wise life. This is spiritual wisdom. Receives truth from God. Oh, there's so much we could talk about here. Let me just, let me just point you to verse 7 in chapter 2 when Paul says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed. God decreed. So when you meditate on that, that passage this week, just think about those two words because what the Bible's saying here is that God has spoken to us. He's decreed messages for us. So this word in front of us, it's not just information about God, it's a word from God. And there's a big difference between those two. Like I mentioned Facebook earlier. You can find out a lot about a person by looking at their Facebook page. But if that person messages you on Facebook, that's different, right? That's personal, that's from them to you. So all the stuff on the page is about them. Their message is from them to you. What we have in the Bible is not just a, a bunch of information about God. This is a message from God to you and me. When you sit down and you open this book this week, you're not just reading information about God for everyone. You're reading a message from God to you. That'll, that'll change the way you look at this book and and when we come together on Sundays, there's a reason I start by saying, if you have a Bible, hope you or somebody around you does because we're gonna open it up to a certain place because we've not come together to hear wisdom from David Platt. That would be a colossal waste of your time. Trust me, I know. No, we've come together to hear a word from God. And my job is not to come up with that word myself. My job is to take that word from God and speak it to you. Remember, I'm not the chef here. I'm the waiter. My job is not to cook the food. My job is just to get it to the table. Get it there hot. That's my job. There's a famous preacher from the past named W.A. Criswell. He once said, when a man goes to church, he often hears a preacher rehash everything that he has read in the editorials, the newspapers, and the magazines. On the TV commentaries, he hears that same stuff over and over again, yawns, and goes out to play golf on Sunday. 
When a man comes to church, actually what he's saying is this. Preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. What I want to know is, does God have anything to say? And if God has anything to say, please tell us what it is. That's what I want to do every week. I just want to tell you what God's word to you is. That's why I'm kind of like showing it here on the screen because your faith needs to rest not on the wisdom of people but on the power of God. And the wise life, so the wise life prioritizes prioritizes receiving this truth. Every Sunday, like this isn't just an afterthought. This is like, I need, I want to hear from God week after week after week and then all week long in between. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And in that, instead of seeing the cross as folly, the wise life sees the cross as forgiveness. The wise life doesn't look at the cross and walk away thinking it's absurd. The wise life looks at the cross and falls on your face in awe. Because God, in a wisdom far greater than ours, has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, not by our pride or by his power, but by his mercy alone. And we see the cross as beautiful. As the way to be forgiven of our sins forever. Which leads to the last mark of the wise life. It is not doomed to pass away. The wise life is destined for eternal glory. And this is exact language from chapter 2, verse 7. So right after we hear about the wisdom of the sage, the rulers of the sage, we remember the phrase, doomed to pass away? Then what does it say? But, contrast, we impart a secret hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Like, underline, circle, star, that one. For our glory, God has, in his wisdom, made a way for sinners to be glorified with him in eternity. Just why verse 9 says, as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, the wise life does not live for this world. Set your sights higher. The wise life lives for what God has prepared for those who love him. So let me, let me close with this. I want you to uh, look at a picture with me on the screen. It's a cover of a magazine that came out this week. And people all across our church, especially out at the Montgomery County campus, will recognize this face. It is Jake Castle. 17-year-old member of our church who was riding his bike to the pool one day last August when he swerved to avoid a row of trash cans and fell into the street where a car hit him and he died. And suddenly, just like that, Jake was gone. Jake had autism. You see, this magazine is about autism. 
And inside the magazine, there's an article about how the world views autism as weakness. But the author of that article in this secular magazine talks about how Jake showed a different picture. And the article talks about how Jake's faith in Jesus gave him strength that was evident and an encouragement to all kinds of people around him and people around the world in mission trips that he'd gone on to other countries. I was with Jake on a mission trip in July last year. And as I think about these two ways to live, I believe Jake's life is instructive for us. Because Jake's life was not a picture of human pride or human power. But Jake was full of life. Because he trusted in spiritual power. Jake believed God's truth about him, about the world around him. Jake knew the cross was a picture of God's forgiveness. And Jake trusted Jesus with his life. And you might say, but he died at 17. And yes, without question, that was an early ending to his life. But don't miss the point, because not one of us is immune to the same possibility in our lives. And the important thing is, Jake may have been a 17-year-old student with autism, but Jake was a wise man. Amen. He was wiser than rulers of companies and countries in this world because Jake knew where he stood with God, which meant that whether he was 17 or 70 when he died, he was destined for eternal glory. That is a wise way to live. So, so I ask you, what about you? If today is your last day, which way are you going to live it? You're going to feed your pride or crucify your pride? Depend on your power or trust in God's power? Are you going to reject or ignore God's truth or are you going to receive it and soak it in? Ultimately, are you going to see the cross as folly and give Jesus pity and lip service? Or are you going to see the cross as forgiveness and give Jesus your life? And the answer to that question will determine not just the shape of your life on earth, but the shape of your life in eternity. And today is the day for some of you to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm choosing the wise life. Know that it goes totally against the grain of this world, but know that it will be worth it. So you bow your heads with me. All across this room and other campuses, I just want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to ask you this question that I asked at the very beginning. Like, do you know for sure where you are sitting right now if you were to die on the way home today, do you know that you have eternal life in heaven? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, then I want to invite you, just right where you're sitting, just to pray to God right now. And say to God, God, I know I am a sinner. 
I have sinned against you. I have chosen my ways and my wisdom over yours. But today, I am seeing the cross, not as folly, but as forgiveness for me. And today, I want to trust in Jesus to save me from my sins, to become Lord of my life. I believe in him, and today I receive eternal life through him. Oh, with our heads bowed and eyes closed in this room, across our campuses, if you just prayed that to God, if you just said, yes, today I'm choosing to trust in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, I want to invite you just to lift up your hand where you are. If you were to say, today, today, is the day I am trusting in Jesus to be my life. Just lift up your hand where you are between you and God. Amen. Amen. God, we praise you. We praise you for the work of your spirit in drawing people to life right now. I pray, pray that you would give them courage to proclaim eternal life in you, even today through baptism. And God, for every single one of us, God, we pray that you would deliver us from foolishness, from the folly of this world. Help us to trust you, your power, your wisdom, to walk in your wisdom, your ways, live crucified lives, receiving, soaking in your truth, living it out as we look forward to eternal glory. We praise you for your wisdom and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt as Pastor David moves through the book of 1 Corinthians. As always, you can download this sermon video or audio or even download the free discussion questions that accompany every sermon on our website, Radical.net. And April is fast approaching, which means we are getting closer to Secret Church 20. And we still have the special offer for our podcast community. By using the code podcast at checkout, you can save 10% off of your Secret Church 20 registration. We hope you join us for what is sure to be an incredible night. You can register your group at secretchurch.org. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us at Radical.net.